Squaw. I'm Rick Sanchez, and we're learning now that uh, the big donors in the Republican Party have decided that uh, because of some of the things that they've been seeing in the last week or so, and maybe more to the point in the last couple of days with the Hutchinson testimony, that they're not going to be opening up their wallets to give to the Donald Trump campaign the way they had in the past. Sure, some small donor money is going to continue to come in, but it looks right now like the big guys, right, the heavy hitters, are showing for the first time signs that they don't want to be associated with Donald Trump. Why is that? Well, it seems as clear as day. It seems as clear as day that it's now looking like Donald Trump is already being investigated by the FBI. In fact, at this point, it's almost undeniable that the former president of the United States is being investigated by federal authorities, right? I mean, that is, in and of itself, a startling revelation. Everybody's asking, right? And, and you've, heard, you've heard kitchen conversations, I think, all over America, people are talking about this. And the thing that they're asking is, um, well, you know, is the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, going to be uh, arrested? You know, that's the national conversation. And it seems to be shifting toward, will Donald Trump be charged? Will Donald Trump be arrested? To something that perhaps is even more important because it has to happen before those two things can happen, right? Those things can only happen if he is first investigated. And I'm here to tell you right now, based on my uh, 40 years of experience as a journalist, and more to the point, as, as a police reporter throughout my career, that at this point, it's almost undeniable that Donald Trump is being currently investigated by the FBI, that the attorney general is looking at the former president of the United States. I mean, look at the revelations that have come in in just over the past, oh, three or four days that, that we're going to be taking apart for you here so you can hear it for yourself. First and foremost, and this is where the rubber meets the road. First and foremost, what happened just overnight? The president's lawyer, you, you've probably heard of this guy. His name is uh, Pat Cipollone, right? So Pat Cipollone is now being subpoenaed. Here it is. The House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has just subpoenaed the former Trump White House counsel, Pat Cipollone. In a statement that just came out moments ago, the committee leaders wrote, the select committee's investigation has revealed evidence that Mr. Cipollone repeatedly raised legal and other concerns about President Trump's activities on January 6th and in the days that preceded it. So there you have Shepard Smith, my understudy, by the way, here in uh, South Florida for many years, uh, breaking the news that, in fact, Pat Cipollone is being subpoenaed. Now, it almost begs the question, and I, and I need to take you through this, because this is where this explanation becomes important and how it ties back to uh, Donald Trump. Because, see, Cipollone knew what happened was a crime. He knew that what happened when the demonstrators stormed the Capitol was a crime and said, if this happens, it's going to be a crime. He said this before it happened. Think about that. If you know what's about to happen is a crime, and then the crime occurs and they can tie you to it, well going to be so much easier for a jury of your peers to say, you can't plead ignorance. You can't plead happenstance. In other words, it just happened. And there is the evidence that you, sir, whatever the case might be, knew 
that it was a crime before the crime was committed. So this is important. And how do we know this? We know this because of the Hutchinson testimony. Take a listen to what she says about her conversations and overhearings of uh, Pat Cipollone. Take a listen. On January 3rd, Mr. Cipollone had approached me knowing that Mark had raised the prospect of going up to the Capitol on January 6th. Mr. Cipollone and I had a brief private conversation where he said to me, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen. This would be a legally a, a terrible idea for us. We're, we have serious legal concerns if we go up to the Capitol that day. And he then urged me to continue relaying that to Mr. Meadows because it's my understanding that Mr. Cipollone thought that Mr. Meadows was indeed pushing this along with the president. So Cipollone is the president's lawyer and he's saying we have serious problems if this thing happens. If we continue the story about the fact that the real president is Donald Trump and not Biden, if we continue the story about getting the vice president to act on that, if we allow these people to march on the Capitol knowing what's going on, including the latest revelation that they were armed and apparently the president of the United States knew this, he goes on to say, we're going to have the book thrown at us. So he is aware of the crime. Now, of course, we still have to uh, we still have to go back to what the president knew. Was he warned? In other words, just because Cipollone said it, of course, you would think of Cipollone's his attorney. He told the president. Right. But what, what was the president told? So, he, look, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Think about this for a minute. If a police officer comes up to you and says, do not cross the street there, because if you cross there, you would be jaywalking. I need you to go over to the corner and walk. And you go ahead and walk right down the middle of the street. Or, or a police officer says to you, do not go in that building, because if you go in that building where there's an active investigation, you could be accused of a crime or arrested for trespassing. And you go ahead and you do it anyway. See, that's the, that's the foreknowledge of the crime. And that's where I believe, and most legal experts would say, the problems are developing now like we've never seen them before, four members of the Trump administration and the president himself. And it starts at the highest level. Think about this for just a minute. A lot of people apparently now we've heard because of this congressional hearing told the president, Mr. President, these things that are, you're saying are not true. Some people have filled your mind with this idea that somehow you actually won the election and there's all this cheating. And while there may be some, uh, there, there might be some innuendo of issues with the U.S. election, of course there are. There's no reason to believe that what you're saying is true. Who is the most important person to tell the pre Who is the police officer, right? The police officer tells you, don't jaywalk and you jaywalk. Who is the president's police officer? The attorney general, Bill Barr, the highest individual in the nation when it comes to the law. He tells the president to his face, Mr. President, these stories they're telling you are bullshit. Take a listen. I had three discussions with the president that I can recall. One was on November 23rd, one was on December 1st, and one was on December 14th. And I've been through sort of the give and take of those discussions. And in that context, I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. I told the president was bullshit. So here's the president knowing from the police officer the highest police officer in the land, that's what the attorney general is, 
You can't do that, sir. If you, if you cross the street in the middle of the street, you're jaywalking, I'm going to have to arrest you. And the next day, of course, Bill Barr resigned. He quit because he apparently got a feeling that the president wasn't going to listen to his advice. So, but here's where, remember at the beginning, we, we talked about uh, why this is important. What's different about the fact that now for the first time we're seeing clues that the president of the United States is under investigation and here it is. Here's, here's where we begin to see this pattern emerge that may spell a problem for the former president. See, the loyalists that he brought in, because he didn't want to listen to Bill Barr. He doesn't want to listen to Bill Barr. He wants to listen to people who are going to agree with him. The loyalists that he brought in, because it appears they were willing to tell him what he wanted to hear. That's always a problem, by the way. Whether you're in business or whether you're in life. I mean, there, there is what you need to hear. <laughs> and then there's what you want to hear. And if you only listen to what you want to hear, I have found in my life, you know, as a guy who's grown a $4.5 billion business, um, let me tell you something. You get in trouble. You make the wrong decisions, and you usually end up paying for it. And it costs you. So I have found when you do that, hello, trouble. Hello, trouble. First, well, the first trouble comes for Trump's bestie. This is uh, a fellow named uh, Jeffrey Clark. Let's take a listen. Mr. Clark's home, we're learning, was just searched Wednesday morning. Federal investigators carrying out a pre-dawn search at the home of Mr. Clark. The New York Times reporting that this is part of the, quote, sprawling inquiry into efforts to overturn the election. One of Clark's associates, so that's someone in his landscape, in his world, said it was a dramatic scene with a dozen federal law enforcement officials raiding the house, seizing Clark's electronic devices, putting him out on the street in his, quote, pajamas. So it looks like they're going after Clark. They're investigating Clark. Well, hell, when the FBI shows up at your house in the middle of the night and says, we're taking all of your computers, my friend, you are officially under investigation and it ain't going to be pretty. Now, it's interesting. Look at who they're going after, right? The two people who went along with Mr. Trump are now being investigated. Jeffrey Clark, his home is raided, right? As, as we just heard, uh, then there's the guy who some say devised the plan. This is the guy who, even though it was based on falsehoods and incorrect interpretations of the law, according to all the experts and constitutional lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, that Vice President Pence, for example, could decide to essentially continue the Trump-Pence presidency by himself by changing the state delegates. I mean, constitutional scholars say it is a preposterous notion. I mean, could you imagine if we lived in a country where after you lose an election, you can put yourself back in office? What, what Pence was being asked to do was to decide to put himself back in office. You get to choose whether you get to stay another four years, even though the voters have decided that they don't want you there another four years. How in the world would our forefathers have written something in the Constitution that allows something like that to happen? Think about that. But that's what he was being asked to do. So... Um, but he, he pushed it, this Trump loyalist and may have sold it and acted on it. That theory that Pence could do this while both he and the president knew that it was not legal. So here's now what, again, Trump loyalist, number one, they seize his computer. What happens to Trump loyalist? Number two. I'd like to see the warrant. I'd like to see the warrant. 
I'd like to see the warrant. Let me see the warrant. I'd like to see the warrant before you take my property. Sir, there's up the warrant right now, sir. I want you to see that they took my property before providing me with the warrant. I'd like to read the warrant. So that's John Eastman. And uh, again, let me just say, when the FBI or federal prosecutors show up your house and when you're not expecting it and they ask for your property, in this case, they're seizing his phone, which he, by the way, is complaining that uh, they took the phone just prior to uh, being able to uh, him see the warrant and that is a technicality of his so-called Miranda rights. So whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know, let me just stop for a moment and say this as a Latino, right? As a Latino. Every time there is an African-American who gets in a scuffle with police or a, or, a, or a Latino who gets in a scuffle with police, we often hear people criticize them and say, why didn't you just comply? Why didn't you just comply? Why didn't you just comply? So it, it almost seems foolhardy, if not ironic or hypocritical, to hear this man now suddenly arguing on the technicality of at what time they looked at his phone before they presented him with the warrant, et cetera, et cetera, where time after time we hear on Fox News and other uh, right-wing media outlets when this type of thing happens to an African-American or a Latino or somebody else who doesn't fit the, fit the mold of power, how all they had to do was just do what the police officer wanted. And why are they going after this technicality? It almost seems preposterous that all of a sudden, when the worms turn, they use the same defense. So here's the question. Were those closest to the president are now being investigated for actions that they apparently did at the behest of the president and the decision to investigate them comes from the highest source in the land. The Attorney General of the United States of America is now investigating the two loyalists of the President of the United States. Now, do you think for one minute that this is not coming from Merrick Garland? Do you think for one minute that this would be happening if these were just two guys who may have committed some kind of misdemeanor and they wanted to look at their phones? If these two Trump loyalists are being investigated for something that had to do with what happened on January 6th related to the president of the United States. You can bet, you can bet your sweet bippy, boy, did I just state myself, that the president of the United States is also being investigated right now. And it's happening because Merrick Garland, Merrick Gar this decision is not made by some lowly prosecutor in some office somewhere in Atlanta. Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, is making the decision to charge these guys. Is it just these guys, or is he going after a bigger fish? And that's really where we are right now. I mean, th th this is the logical entomime that leads us to a place where, frankly, I didn't think we'd ever get. And a lot of people thought we would get there. Michelle Monod is a Democratic strategist, a Latin American policy expert, and a consultant and expert on Latino integration. And she's just a perfect person to be having this conversation with. Our, our other guest is uh, Cece Felix, born in Mexico, became a news leader in Chicago, and has since gone on to uh, national prominence. And she comes to us with a little buzz as well. So we thought that was kind of cute. We put that in there just for you. Thanks, ladies, for uh, joining me uh, today. The, 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 I got to tell you, this is fascinating. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like this. And it looks to me like the evidence that they're presenting 
And the fact that they've now gone off after these two lawyers who are Trump loyalists, these are the guys who bucked what everybody else was saying and said, no, Mr. President, you're correct. It would lead me to conclude, and Cece, I'm going to start with you, that uh, the president of the United States is being investigated along with these two guys. I don't think they would investigate these two guys without having a reason, a bigger fish, so to speak, uh, to investigate. You agree? I completely agree, Rick. In fact, that they've raided a house. They would not do anything like that without having a court order, without making sure that they have some sort of evidence. And uh, something that is very interesting as well with the case is that uh, we're talking about the FBI, not just the Department of Justice. The FBI has a broader, robust, more interest in trying to get to the the, the root of these issues that they're trying to get to. It's, a, it's impossible to know exactly what they have, but they certainly have something on these two attorneys who are Trump loyalists. And of course, I mean, raiding the House, it's, it's a huge thing within this investigation. Usually in cases like this, it seems to me, Michelle, that what they're looking for is some kind of a conspiracy. Who were the people who were getting together and having conversations about a potential crime that was about to happen? And if that's the case, it can't be a, a conspiracy between uh, these two lawyers. You know, it, it, it had to have been the two lawyers and someone else. That someone else is certainly not the vice president. So who's left? Right? Michelle? Certainly not the vice president. The vice president is in the most extraordinary, awkward, dangerous position throughout this, this entire time period. No, they, they are very carefully and methodically doing the work that is necessary to prepare a case uh, under, under authorities. And this is not a, has not been a fishing expedition. Keep in mind that the two lawyers... Uh, could have cooperated more fully with the January 6th commission, and that would have taken a different route, but they chose not to do that. So, uh, you know, it really is about the entirety of what, at the direction of the president, was being done, was being put in motion for all of those weeks following the November election, and then the increasing intensity and, and extremes that Donald Trump wa wanted to see the process go to in order to overturn the will of the people mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and come up with a different outcome. Because at no point in his presidency was he satisfied with what was going on. He did not believe that the rules or the, the oath or the norms or the rule of law uh, applied to him, applied to his White House, and and he did that until the very but, last but, but, moment. But here's, I mean, the other chilling thing in all of this is the pardon. But here's I where the we'll rubber meets that. the road, right? The it, it's it's one thing to know that the president may have wanted what he wanted, and because he wanted it, he tried to make it happen. Okay. This guy, Pat Cipollone, this is interesting. This is the newest piece of information that we are now dealing with. So you got a guy named Pat Cipollone, who apparently is almost the John Dean of this case, if you think about it, right? Uh, he is the guy who told the president, Mr. President, and he told the president's staff, if you continue down this course, you're going to be committing a crime. Here's the question. Do you believe this Pat Cipollone character, now subpoenaed, as we learned less than 24 hours ago, will actually accept the subpoena and testify what apparently Ms. Hutchinson said he said, which is 
that what the president was doing was against the law and they were all going to end up in jail if they continued this course. And if he says that, what is going to be the manifestation? Is this going to be a John Dean moment? And will he stand up and be a John Dean? Cece. I think the pressure is mounting, Rick. Uh, and we got to consider this. John Cipollone, as a former White House counsel, is not there to defend the president. He's not there to be a personal attorney mm. for the president. He's there to make sure that the Constitution is followed, that there are no violations, that there are no legal uh, ramifications into actions by the, by, by the president. Um, I think that pressure by Hutchinson, the explosive testimony that she has given us so far, is going to continue to put pressure on, on, on uh, Cipollone. And I think eventually he will have to speak, at least as he was said, you know, to show a little bit more of a courageousness, maybe a percentage of what Hutchinson has shown so far might mount to him giving some sort of testimony eventually. You know, it seems to me, and uh, Michelle, you know this as well as anybody, because you're, you're an insider. You know how politics works. Um, we're hearing for the first time today that some of the big Republican donors are running scared of Donald Trump. And a lot of people would wonder why in the past some of the things that we've heard about him haven't made them do so, but it is what it is. Could you put us in their mind frame and help us understand why now they are apparently coming forward and making these pronouncements that they're not going to be donating or backing uh, Donald Trump? In fact, they seem to be moving their money toward uh, Vice President Pence and the governor of Florida. Why, Michelle? Well, because the game of politics is always about being on the footing you need for the next race and signaling to others. So with every day, as we are now at the midpoint of this year, we're getting closer to uh, you know, deadlines, opportunities, uh, showcases of different candidates, and they have to make an assessment about what is, uh, what is, what's the landscape going to be. But let's be more direct. So, let's talk about what has happened in the last 72 hours that has made them come out with these pronouncements that they had not come out with in the past. What, what, what is the thing with your experience that is moving them right now? Well, the explicit statements and testimony that came forth on mm -hmm. Tuesday. That is what has changed, where we heard Cassidy Hutchinson state, and, sh and through her lawyers, she has affirmed those statements again since Tuesday, that Donald Trump knew that uh, the, the growing mob that was there on the ellipse and then was ready to charge to the Capitol was an armed mob. They, they knew they had a lot of information about those details. So there were, there were people whose lives, and, more, and as importantly, a process, a sacred process of certifying the outcome of the election that they were ready at his direction to disrupt. And he was willing to put everything at risk for that. That was something that perhaps you know, people had imagined he directly knew about and was, uh, was coordinating, was encouraging f from within the White House, but that had never been explicitly understood or stated or revealed until this week. And there were months and months of machinations of people, you know, uh, doing the, the minimum 
with the January 6th committee, not doing... I, I take your point, but I almost think it may be so, going a little further this time. Because, you know, I got to tell you, and I think most people know this, if... I understand if you're a Trump backer and you're loyal to this guy and you like him because you think he's a great guy or a great leader or because he's tough or because you simply like his policies. Uh, and I know a lot of people like that, friends, member, people who are very successful. Um, and they've stuck by him regardless of some of the bizarre and horrible things that we've heard that were unprecedented in the past. It seems to me, and, you know, Cece, I'll bring you on this. It seems to me the differentiator now is I think some of these guys, especially those who are Republicans who've backed Trump but are more Republican than they are Trumpsters, are now looking at this case and seeing there is a real possibility this former president could be charged with a crime. So now you have to pick sides between the Attorney General of the United States, your own country, and its Justice Department— or the guy who you want to back for the presidency of the United States. It's no longer about whether he's a good guy or what he did was stupid or whether he tweeted something dumb or whether he touched a woman inappropriately or one of the 18 or 19 women who've accused him of sexual offenses. It's not even about those things. I mean, it's about him being charged by the state, by, by, by the uh, Justice Department of the United States. I would bet that some of these guys who are backing out now are taking that very much into consideration. Uh, Cece? Absolutely, Rick. Uh, there is a Spanish saying, con dinero baila el mono. You know, if there is money, the <laughs> monkey will dance. That's pretty much what it says. And the money talks at the end of the day. I think there is a lot of people right now that are seeing their interests first. Uh, they might like Trump. He might look like someone that has a lot of uh, guts and he will be courageous and he's strong and, and he's uh, ferocious, you know, and uh, he speaks and he, he says what he thinks. And a lot of people find that attractive and they might think uh, we need that in a leader. However, now what we're seeing things with the investigation and all the ramifications, things are getting closer to the former president. I don't think anyone wants to bet their money right now on someone that is uh, uh, maybe as strong, but is also as controversial as former President Donald Trump. Um, we still have to see. There's a lot to learn. But at the end of the day, again, con dinero baila el mono. And, and you know, yeah, Michelle, th this is not another one of those crazy stories about the Trump that makes people go, oh, my God, this guy embarrasses me. But I'm still going to vote for him. You know, or, yeah, sure, what he did was kind of vile, but I'm still going to vote for him. Uh, you know, he bankrupted nine businesses, but I'm still going to vote for him. Um, this is different. No. Michelle? Absolutely. I mean, it's the integrity, it's the sanctity, it's the security, it's the reputation, it's the functionality of the United States of America. Period. I mean, the scale of what he did, the, the landscape and how he tried to char the landscape with his actions, how many agencies and how at, at what levels? Look at, at what he tried to do in uh, post uh, Barr's departure at the Justice Department, for example. The fact that he, uh, you know, was through others, through his his uh, his loyalists, through his family, through his uh, you know, advisors, encouraging, you know, sending out explicit and implicit messages for weeks and weeks and weeks about fraud, about a non-functioning system, electoral system, about 
hundreds of thousands of ballots showing up in in uh, swing states, un, you know, all of a sudden unaccounted for. There comes a point when it it is too much. And I think that is what we're on exactly the knife's edge of right now. I truly do. I think that also what's going on with the uh, electoral performance of some of the candidates that he has supported around the country through the primaries, people are watching that closely as well. And it is a decidedly mixed picture. So, you know, how much pull does he continue to have? I, I, Big question mark. I wonder, guys, if um, if this is going to be more of a grab bag prosecution, because I know as a result of what we've just heard, the former president can be accused of knowing that these citizens who were charging the Capitol had weapons knew that. And testimony says that despite knowing that he not only allowed them to continue, but actually wanted to join them. And there might be a charge in that in and of itself. There might be a charge in the fact that he struck a, his own secret service detail in this so-called scuffle that we're hearing about. There, there might be a lot of potential charges, none of them, none of which seems to be perfectly clear at this point. And I believe you guys might disagree with me or agree with me. I don't know. But the fact that he told people to send him money and then collected $250 million for a defense fund, a legal defense fund is what it was uh, called, but it wasn't really a legal defense fund and the money was used for other purposes. I mean, that's malfeasance at the highest level. So I'm almost wondering, what's the charge? Is, is it one thing or is it a bevy of things? Anybody? Do, do, you Michelle, do you got a favorite? Go ahead, Cece, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying that the, the, the interesting part here, as Michelle was mentioning as well, uh, here we are finally seeing the other side of the story. As journalists, Rick, uh, we're also reporting on hearsay. He said, she said. Uh, we're not there at that present moment when President, former President Donald Trump is trying to grab the steering wheel to try to make sure that he goes against his chiefs of security and goes to the Capitol. We're finally learning all these aspects that we had no idea they actually occurred if it wasn't because of uh, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson. Now we also learned that the president at that point was saying, they're not there to hurt me. It's okay. But they knew they were armed. They knew there was violence. There was mounting to a, a very uh, dangerous situation at the Capitol, at the very representation of the integrity of legislature, of the laws here in the U.S. And he was OK with that. He wanted to join them. And he was actually uh, frustrated by the metal detectors not allowing enough people to go in and show support for him. Um, there's a lot more, I'm sure, that we don't know yet. Things are still mounting and still, and things are still going to be surprising for everyone. That's a great point. You know, if, if you guys want to see it, we, we did a podcast. Our most recent podcast before this one is where we take Hutchinson's testimony and we detail exactly what Cece just mentioned. The things that she said, which I think to most people is most alarming, including that, that he was told, he actually told the Secret Service to get rid of the metal detectors so that they wouldn't able, be able to detect that the people who were about to charge the Capitol had weapons on them. Think about that for just a moment. We're talking I mean, about the president, Rick. That's, that's dangerous. 
Yeah, the precedents and the president of the United Who States. Who had been president for yeah. almost four years at that point and knew very well in, in you know, some degree of detail about security measures and how all those things operate and how many people and all the resources behind the planning of it. The, the, his willingness, his, his I-couldn't-care-less attitude about the safety of thousands of people, thousands upon thousands of people in Washington that day. He would have just unleashed them into that, that event uh, which would only probably froth them up, entice them more, and then they would be out on the streets of a sacred place, the National Mall, walking by the, the Washington Monument and all of the museums that house our precious objects and artifacts. And he couldn't have cared less because he, in his mind, they weren't coming for him. Mm-hmm. They weren't, it wasn't going to affect and harm him, so let it be. There is one piece of testimony that makes me hearken back to what we started this podcast with, which is the fact that donors, big Republican guns, so to speak, are finally backing off from the president of the United States. And and there's maybe one thing that we haven't talked about that we should talk about. And Cece, when you were just talking a minute ago, you made me think of this. He is now, uh, there is now testimony that describes the president in a moment when he's told Mr. President they are chanting that they want to kill the vice president. So they, he's just been told about what they plan to do with the vice president and that the vice president's life is could be in danger. And he says mm-hmm. he deserves it. In fact, he uses the F word first and then says, you know, to hell with him. He deserves it. And, you know, Pence may not be the most... Uh, <laughs> The biggest personality on the block when it comes to uh, Republican donors and Republican politics. But I do believe he has a certain amount of trust with Republicans. Like with Republicans, I think donors, the big guys might, Michelle, look at this and say, you know what, that, that's, that's, that's too much. That's a bridge too far. That's dirty pool. And that, that may be playing into this as well. You think? Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, look, they had to have imagined that this could be a, have been the scenario of what went down. I mean, it's all so consistent with the way he conducted his entire presidency and going before that, the campaign. Let's not uh, overlook the words and the analysis of Mary Trump, his niece, who who explained, you know, who helped interpret and explain him. Uh, It took her a lot to start that process of speaking out, but once she did, uh, it was utterly compelling. He does not have care or regard for anyone else. Truly. Even Mike Pence, who he was acting and pressuring and, you know, literally forcing in the way that he thought he could, forcing him to do actions in that period leading up to January 6th. And then when he didn't get out of him what he wanted, he was willing to... Let the chips fall as they may. Whatever the hell happens to him, he deserves it. And the callousness and the, the utter obsessiveness with himself and only his needs and his, what benefits him. We are reminded of it, you know, after having lived through it, uh, slogged through it for, for four intense years. We are reliving and it is pulsing through us once again 
And you know, I just think that the, the space for doubting or for strategically ignoring information about Donald Trump has shrunk yeah, because of yeah. this. I think, I think there was we're some talking about someone that, stopped. sorry, Rick, I, was, I think we're Go talking ahead, about someone that, despite being the, the president of the U.S. and showing a very strong uh, posture um, between different as- aspects, we're seeing someone unhinged. I think someone with a lot of money, no matter how much money you have, you cannot bet your money or your fortune in someone that you realize can react the way that former President Trump has been perceived or even portrayed by the very closest allies. We're talking about a top aide, 25 years old, someone that was silent in most of the meetings. And now she's peacefully speaking and saying detail by detail uh, I think definitely, if I was a rich person, I would not put my money on President Trump. No matter how Republican I am or how much I like the guy, that's the reason I think people are backing out right now. Okay, so let's let's uh, let's finish with this, and I want to know what you both think. If, let's say, thirty days ago, I had asked you whether you thought the former president of the United States had a chance to be the Republican nominee and maybe even be elected president. Uh, what would the number that you would put between one and 10 have been 30 days ago? And what would it be now as a result of what's transpired over the last five, six, seven days? And uh, I guess, CC, I'll begin with you. What, what would be your numbers? What are okay. the odds that the president now, given what you know in the last five or six days or what America knows, what are his chances now of reaching that nomination? Well, despite the situation right now that the former president is facing, Rick, I also have to consider something. We're facing inflation. We're facing a very polarized country. There's a lot of uh, conspiracies still going on on the Internet with no regulations. There's a lot of people that still believe certain news that have been portrayed. So having said that, there's still a possibility for Donald Trump to come out of this and to say uh, fake news, as he did before. However, with the lack of result financially by supporters, and as we said, money talks, I see that very difficult. Not necessarily impossible, because uh, Donald Trump still has supporters, and we've seen many things, crazy things happened in Washington in the past uh, 17 years, uh, but it's certainly more difficult right now. Michelle? He has supporters, but I think that they really are people who are, are not at all in the donor class that uh, is such an important indicator. You know, he has supporters among uh, Americans who have really disconnected from uh, credible news sources and just get information from a a hodgepodge of places which has very little uh, filtering or or scrutiny or editing that that it goes through. And it just reinforces uh, views and and, uh, attachments that they already have. Uh, to answer the question, to give a number, uh, 30 days ago, uh, I would have said there was perhaps a four in 10 chance that he could uh, look likely and have have the posture and the winds behind him to be a candidate for 2024. Uh, Now, I would say it's between zero and one. I think it's it's extremely unlikely. Uh, with all of this, and it's going to, you know, it's going to take some months still. Uh, hopefully, uh, this work will conclude uh, with with outcomes, both the committee and then 
what the committee uh, in the Congress, led by courageously by Congresswoman Cheney and Benny Thompson. Um, uh, hopefully that'll conclude before the end of this year. I do not think it's very likely that he's going to be a candidate and that will frustrate him more and that will beget and unleash other things. But uh, I just think that, that we've really all of these events together and all of the findings and the revelations have crossed the You know, line. it's interesting, and let me just speak as, as, a, as a Latino who happens to be a journalist. Um, the first things this president said, this former president said, when he decided to announce his candidacy for the president of the United States, was that the people crossing the borders, i.e. Mexicans, i.e. Latinos, because he wasn't speaking about the Canadian border. He was, he, was, he was talking about the border that most people consider to be the general phrase for Latinos who come to America. He said that essentially those people, and I personally took it as him talking about me and my mom and my dad, uh, are criminals and rapists. And I suppose some are good people. That's a direct quote, by the way. And somehow this nation, in that moment when they heard that, for many reasons, chose to continue to follow this man, continued to even adore this man in many cases, and he eventually became the president of the United States. Since then, we've talked about a lot of things. And to be respectful to the former president of the United States, I understand why some people may have agreed with some of his policies, because in America, you have a right to agree with everything, anything you want to agree with. But it almost seems unique, interesting, ironic, that now, because of some of these things we're hearing, some of these people in large droves seem to be turning on the former president of the United States. But when he said that, and some of us Latinos went to our friends and said, did you hear what he said about us? We're 20% of the population in the United States. We're really good people. We're so responsible for the economy of this country. And he just said that about us. And some of those said to me, well, I'm still going to vote for him. So... I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I think confounded me, for me as a it has Latino, confounded me the whole time. It is so disturbing and so upsetting the way that he began the campaign on the backs, crushing, literally crushing Latinos and, and you know, with vitriol. Uh, it, it, has, it, it has been very, very hard for a lot of us who care deeply about the progress mm -hmm. of Latinos in this country in the face of the pandemic, post-pandemic, all the shifts in the workforce, all of the, the shortcomings in our educational services and opportunities in this country, the, the status of dreamers. It is shocking to many of us that that never penetrated and stuck because it is who he is. It's part of the way he looks yeah. at the world. It was sad. Cece, I'll give you the last word. Yes, as Michelle was saying, uh, unfortunately, Rick, it started like that. There were a lot of people that secretly and silently felt the same way. That reinforced their point of view and that made it very difficult for this Latino community that, as you said, uh, we are a very powerful force for the economy of this country. We are pretty much the, the regular founders of many areas of this country. And this country is made by immigrants and 
immigrants have made it stronger day by day. And so it was a sad day when he said those things. And it was even worse when we heard a lot of people supporting that fact and thriving on that fact, which has made a situation uh, difficult for the Latino community. Um, as we're seeing right now, things are falling and uh, the things that he've said and the things that have happened and not what we're learning might have a turn on the future for the former president. Yeah, it seems that way. And we're going to continue to follow it and be as fair as we possibly can to present both sides of this story as it continues to come forward. More importantly, just play the tape, show people what it is. And, and to your point, we've been here 600 years. We didn't just get here last week. 80% of us are U.S. citizens. You know, um, of those of us who are 41 years old and younger, 95% of us Latinos speak English. And like I said before, we're right now the seventh largest GDP in the world, if we were a country. And I'm hearing from my sources, we're about to move down that list. So these are important pieces of information. And this is why we do this. Well, in the general media, there really is no outlet per se for us to be able to have these conversations with really smart people like Cece and Michelle. That's why we're doing this here. That's why we're doing this here at Agua Media. And we're going to continue to do it every day. I mean, this is, you know, call Rick Sanchez News. Look for it on Spotify. Look for it on Apple uh, or wherever you get your podcast. Take us with you every morning. Take us for a jog. And by the way, um, on YouTube as well, we're here telling the stories that need to be told in the way that needs to be told. And we're not corporatized, which is also very important. So subscribe. And we'll be looking for you again. And I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be able to talk to really smart people like uh, Cece and Michelle who've been able to take us through this conversation with their uh, experiences as well. Thanks for being with us. We'll look for you on the next one. This is the Rick Sanchez News Podcast. Adelante y